0: This is Y-Tune Shuffle.
1: Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives.
0: The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, Mm. hit play. And
1: then we get to pick your brain about why those songs.
2: Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield, and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is... Is Y Shuffle.
1: I am so eternally grateful for this extra episode. The voice that you're hearing is Bobby Oliver. She's uh, from Georgia. A, a very famous comedian has done work with TNN, the Style Network. You've seen her at the Comedy Store, the Ice House. Runs an amazing um, comedy studio called the Dow, the Dow Comedy Studio, and a festival every year called the Laugh Riot Girl Festival. And I am so eternally grateful that you are here today because this is not the first time that we are meeting over GoToMeeting. Oh no, no, this is the second time, and I am going to tell you, Bobby. I'm so grateful you're here because after the last time that we talked, maybe a week and a half ago, the the first thing that you said to me as soon as I I pressed stop on the record, you were like, "Do you have do you have supplies? Do you have enough supplies?" And I just thought that that was the the sweetest thing, and I was like, "Man, after the last episode that we recorded, it." it it was just really, really tough, and uh, our guest was really stressed out, and so it was just so nice to be able to chat with you, and then when I sat down to record it or to edit uh-huh. it, it uh, for whatever reason, it only recorded my voice, so I've already tested it. It's already working, um, so I'm so grateful that you decided to do this again because I just had such a great time talking to you, and I was like, man, our listeners really need to know who you are, so... Bobby Oliver, comedian, woman extraordinaire in Los Angeles. Welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this again.
2: Yay. I'm having deja vu really bad right now.
1: Does it feel like deja vu? (laughs) Now, you said something that I think is really kind of important to share because I've been feeling this also, but you said last night was a really rough sleep night for you. And I feel like not just me, but I do this Facebook Live thing every day, reading kids books. And a lot of people have been saying the same thing, that they're having a hard time sleeping, falling asleep, staying asleep. And uh, so thank you for sharing that. And you're working on a lot of stuff too. So can you talk a little bit about... We
2: have nothing to do but sleep. (laughs) Theoretically, (laughs) we have nothing to do but sleep. But I've always been... um, Well, when I was a kid, I could sleep on a rock, like outside in the snow. Really? But now I'm like the princess in the pea. (laughs) Like every little thing, every sound, every, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I'm just glad this is not video.
1: Oh, my God. Me, too. Me, too. I have this um, this issue where, like, whenever I have anxiety, I find pimples, and then I pop them, and then I can't stop. <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm a compulsive picker, right? And so that's what I feel like is happening all over my butt. It would help if I shower.
2: I don't do that with pimples, <laughs> but I do that with, like, everything else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a hair. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, uh,
2: so, you know, I've gotten to where I ask people if they have enough supplies. Because for some reason, it's like the zombie apocalypse brings out the good in me. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm not normally, I feel like I'm normally a selfish person and I, you know, um, I have to like make myself do, you know, overt things to let people know that I I care because I have to realize people don't just know. Yeah. Um but something about the apocalypse is just making me a good person. <laughs> Don't expect this to last, people, when this is over. Well I've it's glad a- to go back to being a bitch.
1: It's been uh, four weeks now, so I-, I think they say that's a habit now. So
2: Oh damn it. <laughs> you know, first I started getting positive when I was when I started I've been working out for a year. Yeah. First I started getting positive and then that annoyed me. <laughs> And now I am a nice person, like what will people say? I don't know
1: well, you're a nice person, you're a nice woman in comedy, and again, you do run this amazing club in Koreatown, sort of adjacent to downtown Los Angeles called the Dow Comedy Studio. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be and where that came from in your brain?
2: Well, Dow's been clo- Dow Comedy Studio has been closed a month today mm-hmm. because of the zombie apocalypse, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very sad about that. Yeah. Um, but we are hanging strong. Um, you guys got your bills so, paid for this
1: month is what yes, I saw. We,
2: yes, we okay. paid rent. We paid our bills because, you know, that, that rent freeze doesn't cover commercial property. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So we've been very lucky to get donations from the community and people hiring me for private sessions and stuff. Good. Um, so where Dow came from is, so I started teaching comedy 31 years ago when I was 19 in college and started teaching comedy 16 years ago. And when I started teaching comedy, you know how you know how to do what you know how to do? Yeah. But you don't necessarily know how to explain to other people how yeah. to do what you know how to do, yeah, so when I started teaching comedy, even though at that point I'd been doing comedy like fifteen years already um i I had to learn how to explain you know how to how to teach people how to do what I do how to do, but also like kind of what my philosophy was, and so you know i re- i at first I didn't even realize what I was doing, it was more subconscious mm-hmm. like people would ask me you know, what should I write about? And I would respond, what do you care about? And people would ask, what is my persona? (laughs) And I would respond, who's asking the question?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, and then I realized that I, without knowing it, I had been, um, basically teaching the Tao of comedy. Yeah. Basically using Taoist and Zen Buddhist philosophies. Um, to answer those questions because to me the answer is always the most organic thing,
0: Hmm.
2: you know? Um, and you know, comedy has become kind of a marketing scheme to get rich and famous. What? And people tend to be obsessed with, you know, the the carrot at the end of the stick versus actually doing comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's corrupted everything. It's it's corrupted the industry, it's corrupted people's individual acts, it's corrupted, you know, their persona. Um, and so when I realized that I was teaching the Tao of comedy, I I decided to make it more purposeful and I started doing more research on Taoism and Zen Buddhism and um and took components out that I felt like lent themselves to artists, particularly comedians, Mm -hmm. and then I wrote a book. Um, it took me years and years to write my book, The Tao of Comedy. Embrace the pause, um, and <laughs> uh, and so that you know, I wasn't actually wasn't even planning on opening my own place. I'd been working on this book. I'd been te- I started teaching comedy at Pasadena City College, and then I moved it to the Ice House Comedy Club for nine years, and then seven years ago, I had just was very frustrated where with where I was and how, you know, and just their whole way of being. And so I just, you know, left the ice house, not with any kind of intention to open my own place, just to get away,
1: sure.
2: you know, from the ice house. Um, cause I was unhappy there. And so I had been working on that book for years. And so I left the ice house and I started renting elephant studios and theater asylum. And within a month, a friend of mine called me and said, Hey, there's this commercial place across the street from my business. And you know, that here's the phone number. And we went over there and looked at it. This was our old location yeah. over near the Grove. And we looked at it all of a sudden this place fell into my lap and the book that I'd been working on for years came out. All this happened within like a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And it was like the universe said, okay, you took a leap of faith. You didn't know where it was going to end up, but here's where it's ending up.
1: Wow. And it and it's, yeah. it's amazing. like you've got a yeah, it's a it's a second studio lo- well, the next location in Koreatown, which is amazing and an LGBT friendly, female friendly. Can you talk a little bit about how you got started in comedy, like your first open mic?
2: Well, when I was I grew up a big comedy fan, lo- you know, watching the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson every yes. night. I was obsessed with the comedians on there, like, um, you know, um, David Letterman and Gary Shanling and, you know, Jay Leno and all them back in the day. And I just saw myself a comedy fan. And then I started taking theater classes when I was 14 because my high school in Covington, Georgia, had a great theater department and made everybody take a theater class. I credit that with saving my life. The theater? I, I, yes, I credit my high school making me take a theater class with why I'm not in a trailer park somewhere, you know, well, not somewhere in Georgia, down the street from my parents, I'm sure. Um, And so, but I still was just a comedy fan. So I got a scholarship to go to college, a theater scholarship. Nobody in my family had ever been to college before. I got this theater scholarship. I started going to college and then, you know, I had always seen myself as a comedy fan. But then i within a sh- because so all the the comedians basically that you saw uh back then uh this was in 1988 so my childhood from you know up until 1988 uh all the comics you saw were men mm-hmm. like th- they are almost were all even like 35 year old dark haired men they like all were like this specific type and whenever you did see a woman whenever i saw a woman when i was young it would be she would be kind of a caricature. Sure. You know, like, like Phyllis Diller yeah. or, um, you know, uh, uh, Lily Tomlin as the operator who I love. Mm. Um, but I still saw myself as a comedy fan. So then when I was in college, within a short period of time, Roseanne and Brett Butler mm-hmm. were both on the tonight show. Um, Brett Butler's a Southern comedian. Yeah. She has a, you know, she has an accent. She talks about, uh, I'm from Georgia. She talks about moving from Alabama to New York city. And I was like, You can do that. (laughs) They let you do that. What? And, and, you know, Roseanne, like I saw myself in them. They both were women. They were beat. They weren't a caricature, although, you know, they obviously had their personas, but they weren't a character. Yeah. They they were just up there talking, just being themselves. Mm -hmm. And I really related to... Like, not just that they were women, but you know, Brett's accent and like Roseanne, like, super unsophisticated, yeah. like, not you know, just like for lack of a better word, the white trash in me recognized, <laughs> you know, the
1: white trash um, in you, that and
2: that, <laughs> the white trash in it, right? But, but also because they were women and they were just kind of speaking the truth and not being characters. And so then this light bulb went off above my head, I was like, oh, I could do this,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: I could actually do this. That's why I think it's important for us to be role models for people.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I think like every type of person should do comedy so that every type of person can see themselves doing comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I didn't even know to have that dream. I didn't even know I could have that dream. Yeah. uh, Until I saw myself in them. So I was 19 going to school at the Grange college on a theater scholarship. And I, so I wanted to do an open mic. So I contacted Punchline Atlanta, and they would not let me do it because I was under 21, because it was a bar. Um, And I didn't want to wait from 19 to 21 to do comedy. I had this burning desire to do it. So I started a comedy group at my college.
1: I love that. Uh,
2: Yes, that's how I met my husband, comedian Chris Oliver. No way. Wow. Yeah, he joined the group. This was 1988, although he had done comedy twice already. Mm Mm-hmm uh once in elementary school and once in high school if you <laughs> can wrap your brain around that um so we would have like a it was like starting Night live but a, a stand-up between every sketch okay yeah yeah and, and uh i don't know if you're familiar with the comedian roxy rich who lives in los angeles mm. uh she also was in that stand-up group. wow back in georgia yeah so um and still doing comedy and kicking ass so we produced, I just produced shows. We, you know, wrote sketches. I had a college band, uh, you know, had all these people doing stand up, including me. And then we did that for a couple of years. Well, we did it for years, but after a couple of years of it, I turned 21. And on my 21st birthday, I went to the Punchline Atlanta and did an open mic. And how did um, it go? Yeah, and I brought friends. I didn't know you're not really supposed to bring friends to an open mic, but I did, and it was amazing. Yeah. From that second on, yeah, I was I was hooked.
1: Yeah, I was
2: hooked. I was even in the in the Atlanta Journal and Constitution. They had a picture of me. No way on stage. I just randomly happened to be in the right place at the right time when people are there taking pictures. So um I, you know that of course was like okay I'm a star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. You get in the paper and you're I'm, I'm a I'm a celebrity. So you know uh, we kept doing the shows in college and then after Chris and I graduated we got married and moved to Athens Georgia mm-hmm. which is the coolest place on earth and then I started doing the road out of there.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh any particular road shows that stick out in your mind is like or maybe we'll get to that during your during your songs, I don't remember. We'll hang on to that question.
2: I, I just remember I talked oh, so much the last time, and then I felt like I talked too much and at different at the worst times.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> it is like you were you were such a great guest, and I left that interview feeling just high. Like I was so excited. Um, I'm good
2: because I'm high. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, then uh, let's just jump right into song number one because that uh, that'll be this. This is a great segue. Here we go. This is your song number one. I
0: kick me off the team. Okay. Cheech and Chong,
1: 1974, E-Rake My Eye. What is this song? Tell me where it brings you.
2: Okay. So <laughs> I am the fifth of five kids. Oh my gosh! And my three my three older brothers were much older than me. They were seven, eight, nine years older than me. Wow. Okay. Um. Yes. Yeah, so, and we lived in a trailer, you know, a small trailer. Wow. So they would while I was, you know, uh, how old was I in seventy four? Like six, maybe. Mm-hmm. So while I was getting ready for like first grade mm-hmm. in the morning, they were getting ready for high school. Wow. In the morning, so they would, um, or however that works out. I don't. Don't do the math. not yeah. <laughs> uh, they were getting ready for school in the morning and they would always put on every morning Cheech and Chong's earache my eye. No way. So that is a song about this kid, this guy trying to, this kid, his dad comes there as he's making him get up and go to school. And he's like, I have an earache. And the dad's like, earache my eye, <laughs> you know? And then that's the sketch and then it goes into the song. Mm-hmm. That's the sketch at the beginning. And um, and so that that is the first album of any kind I ever remember hearing. Wow. It's Cheech and Chong. I don't even remember the first musical album I ever heard. The first album I ever heard in my life was Cheech and Chong. And I think that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it explains a lot. Of, like I'm a pothead comedian. It Explains yeah. a lot. I'm not a pothead. I'm a comedian who happens to be a pothead. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. So, so yeah. That if I still listen to Cheech and Chong. Sally Mullins is my best friend, and we call each other Cheech and Chong. <laughs> and she gave me a a Cheech uh, action figure. Uh huh. Um. So you know, my husband. You know, we love the Cheech and Chong movies, so I just, yeah, that always makes me think about growing up as a kid.
1: Yeah. And you have three, but they were going to high school. Did they, did they pick on you a lot? I would imagine being that much older, they were like, oh God, not a little kid hanging around or.
2: It's, it's not just that they were, only that they were that much older. It's that, um, my, uh, so my mama had five kids. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that was my daddy's.
1: Oh, Okay.
2: So the four of them, my three brothers had a daddy, my sister had a daddy, and then I had a daddy, and I, my daddy was the one raising all of us mm-hmm. with my mama. So I he favored me, he yeah. you know or whatever or they thought he did, I don't know. So yeah, my th- mostly my two older brothers, it was like growing up in the house with your bullies. Oh no. Yeah, they were they tortured all of us. Um but they particularly disliked me.
1: Right. Well, because So
2: yeah, because, you know, they blamed me. I don't know what it was, but, but yeah, they were horrible to me.
1: Yeah. What about um, school? Like, did you like
2: going to school or? I liked school a lot, even though I missed a lot of days. I had a lot of mental illness and, and will still do. Um, but I, I, I realized when I was young, I figured out that teachers were adults. You could actually get to like you. hmm and that you could please them. And there was a very clear path to how to please them. Do your homework, pay attention. You know, like at home, there was no telling how to get approval from my mama in particular. Sure. Um, like no nothing, no, matter what you did, it yeah. wasn't enough. And my daddy was pretty much, you know, uh, running interference for her her whole life. So um, teachers, I realize you can become not even the teacher's pet necessarily, but you, there are things you could do to get teachers to like you and approve of you and dote on you and give you attention. And so I fell in love with school and I love school and I have a master's degree now. Oh my God. And what? Uh Public administration. <laughs> so it's called an MPA. It's like an MBA, but for um, government and nonprofit.
1: Sure. And when you went for your master's, were you, were you on the road at that point? I'm okay. Trying-
2: so I went on the road when we moved to Athens. So I was on the road for like eight years, Mm -hmm. no, seven, seven years full-time up and down the East Coast. Like I worked in about 14 states regularly. Wow. You know, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, Indiana, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've done done comedy in 26 states, but I've performed in 14 regularly. And so we, I just got, you know, that was after graduating with a BA in, in, um, in theater. And I just hated that life so much in the beginning. You're like, Oh my God, this is my life. Yeah. And then after a few years, you're like, Oh my God, this is my life. Yeah. You know, we owned this big house on four acres, um, in Athens, Georgia with a, Chris and I did with like jacuzzi tub and around deck. And I saw it a day a week. I saw Chris a day a week. Oh man. um, because I was like in some hotel somewhere in like Alabama, um, so we we moved to LA to get off the road, and I knew nothing about LA. I thought LA pays comedians, because <laughs> 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 um, I had always been paid to do comedy. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, but I didn't know that the market is oversaturated mm-hmm. and people are doing it, you know, for exposure mm-hmm. and to stay sharp. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to get a job all over again. And so I, you know, I went from being a professional comedian to being a telemarketer. Oh. And then I became a nanny. And then I started working at Pasadena City College. And when you work, but I was still doing comedy at night. Sure. You know. Yeah. You know. Got um, an itch, you
1: got to scratch it.
2: Actually, the first two gigs I had in L.A. paid. Oh. So I had a completely distorted view of of what LA was. Um, but so I started working at Pasadena City College and I realized that at a college the only way you can move up is to have advanced degrees. Got it. When you work at a, I got tired of being the smartest person in the room
0: mm-hmm. who
2: got paid the least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to school to get a master's in public administration because I wanted to become a dean. But in the meantime I had started teaching this comedy class. It's like you know, the, the extended learning center at PCC. And it was huge from the beginning, from the beginning, it was huge. So I did it for a couple of sessions there and I had no control over it at all. So I start, I moved it to the ice house. Okay. Because they wouldn't let me control how many people were in the class or how many hours we could go. And um, so we moved it to the ice house. And, um, and while I was there, I ended up my comedy, my teaching comedy at the time was one day a week. I made more money teaching, teaching one day a week than I did working at PCC. So I quit my job at PCC. Um, But I had already started the masters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was, I was raising my sister's two kids at the time and I didn't want them to see me quit. Sure. You know, they've seen a lot of people quit. (laughs) They've seen a lot of people give yeah. up to yeah. say, you know, fuck it and give up. And hopefully I can say that. Yeah. And um, I I didn't want them to see me quit. So I, I continued with the master's degree until I finished.
0: Oh,
1: my gosh. Um. In
2: fact, at one time I was working at PCC full time, doing comedy at night, teaching comedy one night a week, teaching improv at the L.A. Music and Art School one night a week and in grad school.
1: Oh my God! yeah, that's busy, so um, that's so interesting, so your sister you had your sister's kids for a little while What? uh can oh, you, for
2: a long while
1: <laughs> for a long can you talk about how that happened
2: um yeah, so we had my niece well when i was when we lived in Georgia, the kids always had a bedroom at my house, yeah, and we would they'd spend the night and we'd take them to school. I was always their dad, yeah, yeah, they had two different dads, and um neither they both sucked. Um, so I was always their dad and I would help my sister. And then, and then when I moved to Georgia, um, things kind of, you know, went downhill for her Mm -hmm. sister. And so my niece asked me when she was in fourth grade, if she could move out here to California. So she moved out here and she was here for a year and then she was supposed to go home for the summer and come back. But she went home and my sister talked her into staying. And then finally she came back in seventh grade. Oh. So my niece, I had fourth grade, 7th, 8th, eleven, twelve, and four years of college. Uh, I got my nephew shortly after that. So I've had him since he was 16. He's in his 30s now. And he actually lives with me. He rents a room for me now. Wow. Yeah. So he still lives with me. Wow. Um And I still have a, you know, good relationship with my sister. That's uh, They don't. Beautiful. But I do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's your, yeah. I mean, you guys have been through quite a lot together. It sounds like, um, I mean, I
2: consider them my kids
1: who would have ever because thought I can't
2: have kids. So.
1: Oh, can you talk about that? You don't have to, if you don't want to.
2: Well, I mean, I can talk about that. I, I can't have kids because I was raped when I was little mm. and, um, that's kind of informs my art. I don't mind telling you that because that informs my art. I talk about it on you know, not in so many words, but I talk about it on stage. I talk about rape culture and that kind of thing. I'm so sorry. Thank you,
1: man. What a all of that from Chong. It's so interesting <laughs> that, like, you know, we can all kind of picture what that trailer would look like in our minds. And just these, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, it's very stereotypical what that what that looks like because there are several comedians um that talk you know the blue collar comedy tour comes to mind specifically um as you talk about that um but it's
2: so seven people in one bathroom
1: yeah it's so wonderful and inspiring to know that like you can come out of that and you can make choices that make you stable but still can You can still do your art and be creative. You can still smoke pot and like do the things that make you happy and be a solid human and someone that your nieces and nephews can look up to, you know what I mean? And be that like solid support person for them to come have lived with you throughout school and still respect you. And it's just so inspiring. I didn't say
2: they respect me.
1: Well, they must because they're paying rent and, you know, they live well, with you. Well, my niece and...
2: lives up at Berkeley. She has a great job. And, uh, but, yeah, um, I, I'm batshit crazy. You know, I, I had a lot of mental illness growing up. Started seeing a psychiatrist when I was in third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, been in two different mental institutions. So I'm not, you know, uh, I'm not this, you know, I'm not Mary Poppins.
1: No, nobody is. I think that's unrealistic. But to know, like to hear where you've come from and and still the end result is like you've written a book, you run your own business. You are someone that, you know, kids look up to. You are stable, you know, in a sense, even through all of that stuff, all that shit that you've been through. It's like my hat comes off to you and I, I just respect you that much more. I think I think that's really amazing. I'm stable for
2: a comedian.
1: Yeah. I know. People, <laughs> people always look at me. They're like, How are you so normal, Maggie? I'm like, I'm not high. I'm not drunk. And I'm not dating you. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I right. say normal. You know, people are
2: always like, You're so not. I'm like, Live with me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live with me. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Here we go. This is your song number two. Hey! Bobby, I love this song. Blondie, call me. Why this song? Why did you pick this song?
2: Okay, awesome. So when (laughs) when I was a kid, teenager, I don't know the time period, uh, Columbia House had this deal where you could get 12 albums for a quarter. (laughs) I don't know how old you are or how long they did that, if you know anything about it. You get 12 albums for a quarter, and then they locked you in for life for this contract or Mm -hmm. some shit. So I picked twelve albums and one of my twelve albums was Blondie. Uh I think it was Parallel Lines this album is off of. Mm-hmm. Uh this song is off of I, it was like Blondie and the Go Go's and uh, I can't even remember what all else they were. Um probably like the Eagles or um Sticks or something, who knows? But but Blondie. So Blondie was just a huge I love the go go's too, but like Blondie was such a badass. Yeah deborah harry is such a badass yeah. and so it was i just really just related to her and all of her songs and just like like that's you know i just had a taped a, a comedy special and we my husband put together you know a playlist of music well i asked him i gave the songs i just am you know yeah. um technologically not very gifted. So, um, he put together this playlist of, um, songs to get people in the mood for my comedy. And you better believe Blondie was on there. Oh yeah. Because yeah, she just, you know, and, and she was, you know, she was pop, but she was also punk rock. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, I always, every and we have a, you know, I have dance parties and I'm now having zoom dance parties. And every time that song comes on, you should just see the women go crazy Yes. and just all saying, call me, me, you know, yeah, everything off that album is fantastic. But that puts me in that time where I'm discovering my own music. I'm kind of starting to figure myself out a little bit.
1: Yeah. And this is in, in high school, you said?
2: Probably. You know, I'm not real. I, you know, I blocked out a lot of my childhood. Mm -hmm. So I remember patches of things, but I couldn't tell you the year that they happened. Yeah. Um, But it was whenever parallel lines around the time it first came out.
1: I love that. This is a a connection for me because this is my go to karaoke song. People like. We're, we wind up at a bar and they're having karaoke it's like oh I'll just I'll sing this this is where I'll start it's so good I love it too cuz she sings in French and that was like what I picked in high school for whatever reason mm-hmm. and I was like I can sing that part I know what she's saying
2: so yeah me too I studied French in high, three years of French in high school and like <laughs> two in college and I I can say let's go to the beach how <laughs> nice to meet you! You know, <laughs> like I guess it's just we try our if to have connaissance. <laughs> I don't even say it well.
1: <laughs> There's a, the I think Monsieur Melenkovic was our was our teacher in high school, and he didn't do much teaching, but he would always tell us he's like French is the number one language in the world, and we're all like is it i don't (laughs) is it yeah but then he would put on he would put on a a video the donkey videos and it would just be like "Ah, uh and we're like okay we got it and we got it monsieur yeah when i got
2: to when i when i i went to uh moved to la i took spanish at pcc because i just had no background in it and I just felt like I should know some Spanish. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, there was nothing nothing in my hometown but white people and black people. Yes, my hometown's like forty percent black. I think it's even more now, and 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 wh- half white, and so a little more than half. And I I would just so I was just as likely to run into French-speaking people as I was Spanish-speaking people. Yeah, which was like not at all. Yeah. Um. So if I had known what the world, you know, what the world was really like that there are, you know, so many Spanish speakers, I would have learned Spanish. And then when I started taking in, uh, took Spanish class, just to, you know, cause I wanted to, I thought I had didn't speak French until I kept accidentally saying everything in French. <laughs> yeah. And then the Spanish teacher yelled at me and was like, pick a language.
1: And you're like, it's all in there. I can't, it's yeah. the same. Yeah. No, I had that same um, experience. I grew up in New Jersey in small town. Um, And it was very similar it was was white and black and that was it and when the middle of high school my my mom moved out here to southern california i remember thinking i was like what are all these colors like this is this is cool and became very obsessed with um with mexican culture and so when i was in college took a lot of spanish and minored in latin american study like i was very obsessed like yeah like how interesting (laughs) are all these people i've never i didn't know
2: who knew that was a thing (laughs) I never even met a Jewish person until I went to college. Isn't that interesting, ma'am? That's how shitty my town is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but we still we're here. We're in L.A. and we're still amazed by all the yeah, things. Thank God
2: we're around people. Real people. <laughs>
0: right.
1: All right, here we go. This is your song number three. Everybody
0: wants to be a DJ. Everybody wants to be an MC. But being speakers are the best, and you don't have to guess. You're like so Posse consists of three, and that's the magic number
1: okay this is a fun one and super different the magic number from de la soul 1989 why this song where did where does this take you
2: okay so i was in college 86 to 90 and i've been you know in 88 well chris and i were best friends And we weren't dating yet. We, you know, we were best friends. And then every time we got drunk, we'd make out. (laughs) Um, You know, at first we hated each other, but by this time we were we were best friends. And um, he, you know, he exposed me to so much music. I love that. So much music. I mean, he's from South Florida. His parents are Yankees. You know, he's not. um, You know, he's not like sheltered. And his parents are from New York and New Jersey. And I'm from a town where everybody always lived there. Nobody ever moved. Nobody. So I always just had country music crammed down my throat and had to like, you know, go to Columbia house (laughs) to get my 12 records that weren't country. And so De La Soul was big at that time. And the album, I believe is three feet high and rising. Mm -hmm. And just, we would just listen to that. We basically, a bunch of us just hung out in, in Chris's dorm room and we would just listen to that over and over and over. And it had sketches. That album has a lot of sketches too. Sure. You can't really hear that album on like Spotify. You can't hear a lot of De La Soul on Spotify because this was pre paying for all of the, the samples and all of their samples hasn't, haven't been cleared. Yeah. So they can't, can't stream on Spotify, but it's a, but De La Soul is amazing um, and they were just like happy. I mean, I, I, you know, i in, gotten into hip hop when I was in high school, but it was like slick Rick, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dougie fresh, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, De La Soul was just like nothing mm-hmm. I'd ever heard before. And every time I hear them, it makes me think of us hanging out in Chris's dorm room, yeah. just partying. And so my, my school, Chris and I went to a Christian school, a Methodist school. Okay, which is way lo- way looser than like Southern Baptist, but still is Methodist, and so there were there was like it was a very small school. There was like a thousand people that went to the school, and like five hundred who lived on campus, and like twenty or twenty five of those people were were cool, <laughs> were, were freaks, you know, smoked pot, and they were in and, you your know.
1: comedy group, right?
2: Right. They yeah. were all in a common group. <laughs> they joined it from like, from English majors and art majors and, you know, other majors all came together to, and so there was a core of us that hung out together all the time. We all ended up interdating and sleeping together, right, and, you yeah. know, cause there are only so many cool people. <laughs> so, um, just th- that, listen to that song, listen to, to that album just makes me think of just the good times in college before you actually had your own bills. hmm you know, and it was just, you could just hang out after school in somebody's dorm room and get yeah. high and, you know, yeah. have fun. So, de la soul all the way. Yeah. Is, uh, did you guys,
1: was it like a, a registered student activity after school? Like, did you perform in front of the rest of the school? Like, how, how did you perform? How did that Well, work? we
2: would, you know, we would like request the ballroom you know, for that night or whatever. And we would put on a show and the students would come see it. It was free. Cool. Everybody who lived on campus would come see it because there's nothing else to do
0: mm-hmm.
2: in that town except for go to the front houses. Yeah. So they would you know, come watch it. And, you know, we would just put together shows basically for all of our friends. You know, we were all yeah. of our friends in the audience and people at school.
1: And is it still going on today, you think? Or did it last? No,
2: no. But it did go on for years after I left.
1: That's a, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it was called Lost Comedy. I love that, and yeah, because my school is called Lagrange College, so LC. Uh huh. Lost Comedy. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Um, and then I know you and Chris met there. Can you talk a little bit about like? Can you tell? Can you tell me the proposal story? <laughs>
2: okay well first let me say chris and i despised each other at first at first yes so we're the same age but i started college and graduated college a year before him because he dropped out of high school Mm. and he got his ged and had to go to another community college before they would let him into um four-year college and he also has a master's degree now by the way great um so you can drop out of high school and still get a master's degree yeah (laughs) so we i thought he was a freak i thought he was a weirdo i was right by the way um <laughs> he thought i was a over dramatic bitch he was also right um but so we became we all became friends and then we ended up you know becoming best friends and then we ended up making out and then we ended up dating and we ended up living together and so we were on his parents took us to a on a cruise uh and actually let us stay in the same booked the same cabin for us to sleep in what? together because it's cheaper parents, yeah never right. done well no they booked one for his brother and his girlfriend got their own room mm-hmm. chris and i got our own room so they could have put the boys together and the girls together but sure. they were like they were catholic they got it um they weren't bad <laughs> or... so um we we had uh kind of talked about getting married before chris told me that he decided he wanted to marry me um uh, While on mushrooms, oh, (laughs) on the cruise, (laughs) and yeah, but no doubt this was beforehand. He was like, he was tripping, it was hard. I was like taking care of him, and he was like, I'm gonna marry her. And then he said he thought about it for days before he said anything because he wanted to make sure it wasn't just the mushrooms talking,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So we had kind of discussed it, but then we were on the cruise, and I said something about, you know, we'll get married one day, and his brother was like, Well, has he proposed? And I said, well, not like, you know, propose, propose, but we've talked about getting ready. He goes, if he hasn't proposed, you're not engaged. Aww. And so we were walking back, you know, Chris was there for that conversation. We were walking back to our room. Chris was really drunk. <laughs> and, he turned to me and he was like, will you marry me? <laughs> so it was on a cruise to the Bahamas. He was drunk. So he decided on mushrooms that he wanted to marry me. He was drunk as hell when he asked me to marry Mm -hmm. him um he's probably been high ever since (laughs) (laughs) so he has no idea but then so we went back home and he i had a job i was running kb toys because i graduated i was waiting for him to graduate yeah and so i had a job and he just like delivered pizza and went to school he would not let me pay for the ring at all and he like put took it out on layaway in the mall where i was also at the toy store. And then he picked it up one day and he came to this toy store and he got down on one knee Aww. and he put the engagement ring on my finger in front of all my coworkers in front of everybody in the store.
1: Did you love it or were you super embarrassed?
2: Oh, it was the sweetest. Awesome. Yeah. It's the, it's the only time he's ever done anything like that. <laughs> like, like to this day, he's yeah. never done anything like that, but it was this, you know, very wonderful and sweet and,
1: yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. like watery. I'm thinking about it. I love that. You know, what's funny is yeah, like we
2: got married in 91 when mm-hmm. we were 23 years old. Oh, my
1: God. Babies.
2: Babies. Yeah. And we're now we're now 51 years old. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. See?
2: Yeah. You can it's do surprising. it.
1: I love that. When I get drunk, uh, the best decisions I make are to cut my bangs. So <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. he's a keeper. I love that. All right, here we go. Let's, let's move on. This is your song number
0: four. good enough for me. and my Bobby I love this song.
1: Janis Joplin, me and Bobby McGee. Tell me about it. Why'd you pick this song?
2: Okay, so that Janis Joplin's Me and Bobby McGee is my favorite song. Really? My favorite band is the Beastie Boys.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, but my favorite song is Me and Bobby McGee. It was originally written by Chris Chris And um, just singing, I, I, so I used to play that song. Chris made me like a cassette. Chris used to make me mix tapes um, when that was actually a thing. And, uh, he made me, you know, a, to, he made me tapes to go on the road because mm-hmm. I was just in my car alone all the time.
1: And, a cell phone? And so,
2: <laughs> no, there were no cell phones. Yeah, no cell phone. Boring. Yeah. When I was on the road there, I didn't even have an ATM card. What? Because ATM cards were brand new when I went on the road and there were no, there was no internet. There were no laptops. There were no, only rich people had cell phones. I just, like somebody had the internet, but like people didn't have, you know, yeah. So you were like alone, alone. Yeah. So it was just like me and, oh, I did carry a gun. Really? I had a gun. Yeah, I had a gun. Um, Cause I was in a different state by myself every, every week. Oh yeah. And, and so um, listening to that song, like I would always get elated when that came out. Cause you're driving like a thousand miles a week. You're driving like eight hours at a time, you know, sometimes 20 hours and listening to that song just always takes me out of whatever Situation I'm in. It's kind of a song about being on the road. Yeah, you know it begins busted flat in Baton Rouge. Yeah, Waiting for a train. Um, and so it, it just that song just always just kind of made the road better. And now whenever I hear it, I think of, um, of being on the road in a good way. I remember the good things about being on the road. And you're talking about your karaoke song, so I you would I would have to be like really backed into a corner and at gunpoint to do karaoke <laughs> uh, but the like one time I ever did it I sang that song oh good the one time yeah, badly
1: that's so badly. interesting that you're like let's have a dance party on the internet but like won't sing karaoke I think that's so funny
2: because my I do that is not one of my strong points singing is not oh, in God. my toolkit of talent
1: anyone that does karaoke is terrible at it
2: <laughs> no some people get up there and they're really good and you can really sing oh You know, I've heard you sing. My mama had a great voice. Beautiful singing. Mean as a snake, but beautiful singing voice. Mm -hmm. And I just can't carry a tune in a bucket.
1: (laughs) But you can dance, so you can carry it.
2: Well, I I can (laughs) dance without caring how I look dancing. Mm -hmm. But I don't have that about singing.
1: Yeah. Do you think you were always like that? Like, if you were dancing in your teens or in your 20s? Because for me, it's different now. Like... In my teens, I wouldn't, I wasn't dancing.
2: I know I went to dance places in my teens because there was like a club that Mm -hmm. was like 16 and over in Atlanta or whatever. And sometimes at my school, we had a bunch, like a group of friends in high school that liked to dance. But it wasn't until I went to college and it was such a small town that there was literally nothing else to do but go to the frat houses and dance. Uh Uh-huh when there's literally nothing else to do you you dance a lot and then you just start not caring mm-hmm. how you look and chris loves to dance too and he also does not give a shit how he looks that's so great um and so we just dance like like crazy people and you know have,
1: have you guys ever them. done one of those silent discos have you ever been to one of those no what's that yeah it's like this um it's like a club but everyone's wearing headphones and you can flip to any channel you want as there's like three different dj's playing and depending on what channel you play, like, that's the DJ that you're listening to. And so when you walk in, it's quiet, but everyone's dancing with their headphones on.
2: Right? Oh, my God. So you can get, like, whatever.
1: You- so there's, like, you know, like, 60s and 70s rock. And then you've got, like, you know, the EDM style dance. So everyone's doing, like, their own thing. <laughs> but um, it's just it's just quiet in there.
2: That is terrifying.
1: Why? That sounds awful. Oh
2: no! I would don't do mushrooms and go in there.
1: (laughs) That would be weird. That would be very weird.
2: That's like that movie, The Quiet Place.
1: The Quiet. I don't know if I saw that one.
2: Well, basically, if they had a dance, that's what they would do. They would do it silently because if they made a sound, these creatures would come and kill them.
1: Oh yeah, that's the one that just came out last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, it was really good.
1: Yeah. Um, Is there? a time on the road, thinking about Janis Joplin, that it went from being like, yay, this is my life, to, oh my god, this is my life. You kind of referenced that earlier, so.
2: Yeah, I mean at first you just cannot believe somebody's giving you money to do comedy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in, I started doing comedy, I started on the road when I was like 23, you know, maybe maybe 24, I can't remember, and it's just, you're so excited, but then, see, I don't like to be alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and because that's my demons get really bad when I'm alone. And so the, and like I said, there was no laptops. There was no, in order to make a phone call, you had to like leave a credit card at the desk Oh wow. kind of thing. And it's got to be Chris, like I'd call Chris and he was still living life. Hmm. He'd be like, Oh yeah, some of us are going to go to the movie or we're going go to go the 40 watt tonight or And I would be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to be here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and we had, you know, that house. we didn't have that house in the beginning, but we had it, you know, in the last um, couple of years I was on the road and it just got, you get older and you just, you, you know, I, I, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was in, um, I drank too much in high school and ended up in a facility in 11th grade. I don't drink. So um, all that people want to do is just go to the club bar after the gal, the committee. And it's always men. You're Mm -hmm. always on the road with two other men. And a lot of times you're in a comedy condo with them and it's two other men. I was on the road full time for seven years. I was only in the condo with another woman twice. Wow. And so I don't like to be alone. And it just got so lonely. And just so I started getting more and more depressed. And your act starts sucking after a while if you're on the road because you're just trying, you're performing and you're, you're just doing material that works in every type of situation. Sure. Because one day you're in a country club, the next day you're at a biker bar. Mm-hmm. And so um, you just start doing all this just hack generic shit. You know, you can always tell a road comic. You really? Know, you can always tell somebody that doesn't actually come back to like, a, you know, a real city often enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I wasn't enjoying comedy more. It made me hate comedy. I just wanted to be a real person. Yeah. I wanted to sleep in the same bed every night.
1: Do you feel like there's any part of you that would enjoy it? Like, do you tour it now?
2: No. Now it has to be a lot of money mm-hmm. and close. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Sally and I went to Vegas for an IBM mm-hmm. um, corporate gig, sure. you know, a while back. So if it's like that, but, I, but you know, I'm not going to, somebody tried to get me to go to Utah for $100 recently. I'm like,
1: no. no. Yeah, it doesn't even cover so travel. Bas-
2: right. So basically teaching comedy and, and owning a comedy school is my day job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Producing shows is my day job producing festivals so that I can support my comedy habit mm-hmm. and sleep in the same bed every night.
1: Yeah. And it's such a, such an amazing place too to perform comedy and you've got a festival coming up. I think we're going to touch on that here. So let's move along. This is I'm sorry. I had to say in the last song, uh, song number five.
0: Girl.
1: <laughs> bikini kill. I think if I remember correctly, you talked a little bit about this and just the punk rock and, and the inspiration of the festival that we were just talking about.
2: Yeah. So Chris, you know, like I said, Chris, you know, he's punk and he had a band called psychedelic Tessen
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. What did and he play? So
1: he's he a drummer. Uh,
2: he sang.
1: Oh, neat. Okay. He's,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he started getting me into, you know, into punk and he exposed me to this punk rock feminist movement called riot girl yes and girl is spelled g-r-r-r-l and riot girl was started by this woman called kathleen hannah from bikini kill there's you can watch there's a documentary about her called the punk singer um she was good friends with kurt cobain she's the one that came up with the phrase smells like teen spirit
1: oh cool Yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah, but Bikini Kill and like Slater Kenny and Huggy Bear and just those different women bands. Oh, there's also a book about her called Girls to the Front. Yeah. Um, because about the Riot Girl movement, because she, you know, punk, the the mosh pit can be a very dangerous place for women,
0: mm-hmm.
2: particularly because some guys are even harder on women in the mosh pit than they are each other. Because yeah. like, oh, you got to earn it. It's like, well, why didn't Joe have to earn it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, why aren't you kicking the shit out of Joe? Um, and so she, uh, Kill Kathleen, Hanna, they wouldn't start singing until all the girls came to the front. There was mm-hmm. an hour, girls to the front and so that they could kind of, you know, yeah, watch over them or so the girls would feel safe or whatever. Um, and, and so I relate so much to that because they, you know, like comedians, they're in a male dominated industry. Sure. Um, it's not, there is no HR, mm-hmm. you know, you're expected to just roll with so much that you would never be expected to roll with in any other job. Um and and the kind of feminist you have to be in a situation like that is a badass bitch. Yeah. You know. And so I, you know, and Carrie Brownstein, the comedian Carrie Brownstein who's on um, Portlandia. Uh-huh. He was also a riot girl. The sh- her band Slater Kenny. Oh, cool. Um yeah, so um just you know i related so much to that movement so when i decided to start uh my own women's comedy festival i i used to produce the produce the eagle rock comedy festival for four years yeah which was in eagle rock california and where we lived and you know it was like in all these venues up and down you know the streets and you could like pop it was like a comedy crawl you could pop in any place and see a show and and i've been in a ton of festivals And so a lot of, everything I do in my class, everything I do in my mics, my shows, my festivals is all a reaction to bad experiences I had. Okay. So I'm trying to keep people from having those same experiences. So like, um, one, I've been in festivals that have like almost no women. Mm -hmm. I was in a festival that had like seven women. And then I wrote the guy afterward and I was like, Hey, you know, maybe you could get some more women in here next time. Because I knew brilliant women, brilliant women, who had submitted to this festival and been turned down. Uh, and he was like, okay, we'll work on it for next time. And the next year came around, and there still wasn't any more women. And then I was also in this other comedy festival where the meet and greet between the comics and the bookers was at a strip club. Oh. Yeah.
1: Well, i not because fun. Because every
2: comedian is the... Uh, uh, a straight male who wants to do business at a strip club. Mm-hmm. I guess now, there are a lot of men who don't want to do straight men who don't want to do business at a strip club, but that was, the, you know, that was the default. Um, and I wasn't going to go meet those bookers in a strip club. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go try to present myself, you know, in my comedy in that situation. And, you know, when, while they had titties in their face, um, I don't have anything against strip clubs. I don't want to do com- my business with yeah. the, somebody to hire me in a, you know, in a strip club um and so and also i went to see another friend in a in a comedy festival i went to support him and uh there were 22 people on the lineup in the festival not one woman on the entire show 22 people of that in that particular show so i was like you know what i i own my own place now i'm gonna start a festival and i'm gonna make it a punk rock feminist comedy festival
1: it's so rad yeah it's a lot of fun
2: We were inspired by Riot Girl, so we're called Laugh Riot Girl.
1: Yeah. And it's a, it is such a, it's a beautiful space and just a really fun time. And everyone, I mean, so good. And
2: the guys love, the guys love being in it. The guys who are in it love it because they're usually like the only guy in the show. Mm -hmm. There's not like 10 people in a row that went up just like them with their exact material. Exactly. You know, they get to stand out. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so we decided we didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do about it this year because mm-hmm. it's June 8th through the 15th. And I don't know if we're still going to be on lockdown or partial lockdown. And I was like, do I cancel it? Do I keep promoting it? Mm-hmm. Do And finally, I was like, you know what? We're going to do it. And if we have to do it on zoom, we'll do it on zoom. Perfect. Good. Because it's important for all these different types of feminist comedy voices to be heard.
1: Yeah, absolutely absolutely
2: because there are a ton of different kind of feminist community ton of different i mean just you know
1: yeah the uh i i started stand up in a little town called champaign urbana illinois and which is about three hours south of chicago and i was doing a lot of improv comedy at the time i was in a very popular group called the the abe froman project and we would pack out monday nights like it was just really pat and so and i had done comedy sports in high school like i was Super into improv, also doing radio at the time, and the champagne urbana comedy guy what is it c u comedy club um the guy that runs that he asked me to help promote and market and work on this festival and i I didn't know anything about standup at the time um, it never really occurred to me like that was something I might want to do one day um but he, so I was super into it. I also had kind of a crush on him, and so I was like, yeah like <laughs> I'll help you do whatever you need to do the festival came and went it was like 5 days 9 shows and maybe like 3 women that came through and i got mad and i it didn't even occur to me to ask him like where are all the women i was just like there needs to be more women like i'm funny i'm going to do it and so i signed up for the next okay. open mic the next open mic i signed up for i didn't tell anybody i was doing it like <laughs> i didn't i didn't want anyone to know and i was i got on stage did my 5 minutes and uh, i was like oh they don't hate me that was really fun let's do that again and from there, all of a sudden, all these women just started signing up and we were like this little clique in this town and we were up and down Chicago. Up. It was so, it was so, oh, so much fun. Killer. Yeah.
2: You know, if they like to say um, men who don't book women uh, or have many women at their open mic, if at all, or in their shows. So they like to say, well, not a lot of women do comedy, mm-hmm. but that's bullshit. Yeah. Especially now, a lot of women do comedy. If women aren't going to your open mics, it's because you're doing something at the open mic that is signaling that it's not women friendly and they're going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, my women only open mic never has less, fewer than 20 women in it. We've oh even had yeah. 40 women before my comedy festival. Last year, we had 130 comedians, a hundred of which were women. Yeah. Yeah. So when people are like, well, there are no women do that. No, you're doing something. First of all, clean your bathroom. <laughs> You know if that's you want so women true to come to your open mic, maybe don't have a disgusting bathroom mm-hmm. you know
0: mm-hmm.
2: um but yeah there are a lot of ton of women do comedy and so many so many different ways to be a woman comic I mean so many different ways to be a comic for sure But when people like like put it you know put this box or, oh female comedy or I we even saw a website when I was researching my book there was a website that had one list and the heading read comedians and then another list that read Female comedians.
1: Oh. Why well, is it different? Right?
2: <laughs> not male comedians and female comedians. Just comedians and female comedians. You know. Ugh. Because male's the default. <laughs> you think male is the default. And so, we, you know, it's a great network. It's not a contest. It's a um, celebration of women in comedy. And mm. not just women, but feminist voices. Not every woman that does comedy or teaches comedy or is involved with comedy is a feminist. Mm-hmm. And not every person who is a feminist in comedy is a woman.
1: Yeah, that's very you true. Know,
2: there are lots of men and non binary mm-hmm. um comics. We're also trans inclusive. Mm-hmm. We're intersectional feminists. It's very important to say we're intersectional feminists.
1: What is that? What is that? Um mean? Well there's
2: a lot of different kind of feminists and there's a type of feminist that is transphobic. Okay. Um I, yeah, okay. And there's also white feminism. Which doesn't mean a feminist who's white. It means a person who practices the kind of feminism that's just for white women.
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 Not all so
2: we, right. So we believe that uh, intersectional feminism believes that if feminism is not true feminism, if it doesn't um, fully, fully embrace and involve women of color, um, the LGBT community, including the T in LGBT, mm-hmm. you know, QIA. Um and just like understanding that there is a cross section of yes le- yes women have it bad, white women have it bad. We have uh we get paid like seventy to seventy five percent on the dollar um to to men, uh, particularly white men. But women of color get paid even less right. than that. Yeah. We keep quoting this seventy cent on the dollar or whatever, but it's for women of color it's it's even less. Yeah. Um so there's just you know, it, it incorporates all of civil rights into feminism. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just, I I, I mean, obviously to me, I think it's the, the best wave of feminism.
1: Yeah. I love that. All from rebel girl, bikini kill. And you have really just started a, a very cool movement here in Los Angeles too. So it's really fun to watch that. And, um, I run an open mic very close to where the Dow comedy studio is. And it's very fun to hear the men that stop by your, uh, mic and then walk over just love that experience also um which is great so thank you yeah
2: and a lot of women like to go on especially the women's mic. talk about the mic they just came from yeah or you know whatever yeah we actually won la weekly's best of la i love that yes we won best place for women comics yes and we won open mic reviews um best safe space mic and best place to do your first set
1: yeah i love that congratulations
2: yeah, we have a women-only mic. We have an LGBT plus allies mic. The women-only is Monday. LGBT plus allies is Tuesday. We have regular like Friday mics and Sunday afternoon mics, and um, we just try to, you know, we do try to be a safe space. And people are like, oh, come and be a safe. Then you go to you go to places where they throw shit at you mm-hmm. if you want to. And we'll go to places that uplift us. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like one night I looked around the room. So this, the Women Only Open Mic is eight years old. Mm-hmm. The, it's the longest running Women Only Open Mic in L.A. The festival, this is our sixth year. So I've been doing comedy forever. Like I said, 31 years. One night I looked around the room uh, when I first started doing the Women Only Open Mic. And there were like 20 women there. And I was like, oh, I've never been in a room with 20 women comics before. I've never been in a a room full of my peers before. And then I realized male comics get to experience that every night.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Every night they get to be in a room full of a bunch of male comics. Mm -hmm. But we are always the only chick on the show. Mm -hmm. So we don't have another woman there. Or maybe there's two. And, you know, and like the used to be in one of one or uh, one of a few women at the mic. And Mm -hmm. so we never really had that bonding opportunity. Yeah. Um, So I don't apologize for it at all. No. It makes some people so mad. Some people are so mad. They call me sexist. They call me, I'm like, so have you been going to male mics and complaining that there are no women there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. And you shouldn't. Don't apologize.
2: You are so authentically you. You are the kind of
1: woman that, like, just makes everyone comfortable being themselves. Does that make sense?
2: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Except for the people who hate me and want me dead. Well, you know, <laughs>
1: you're not doing it right if you don't have haters. I. That's what I always say.
2: And you know what? I I, I'm, I like who my enemies are. Yeah. They're the kind of people that I was like, if this person supported me, I'd be worried about what I was doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, I feel like the kind of people that support me and the kind of people that we're helping um, get so much out of it that it's worth all the times I get cussed out mm-hmm. and threatened and, you know, everything else. It's worth it.
0: Yeah
1: beautiful i love it all right let's wrap up the show i would love to hear the experience of your very first concert
2: okay so um (laughs) i I remember what my first two concerts were and i can't in my mind i could google it probably know which one of them was first but my first two concerts were were uh, madonna like (gasps) a virgin yes and prince purple rain oh my god yes so those two concerts, when I was in Atlanta and we had a group of, I didn't really start making friends until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this last time, but I was kind of a crazy kid. And uh, <laughs> I had stress-induced Tourette's and, you know, I carried a puppet, you know, all this stuff. So super popular. <laughs> um, but then I got this group of friends in high school and realized I was funny. And so, and so we started going to, to dance places and and concerts. And the first two concerts, my friends Kelly's mom, took us to them. Uh, she also dyed our hair different colors for us and, and cut us in like buzz cuts and gave us rat tails and perfect. This was amazing. And, uh, yeah, purple rain and, um, and like a virgin was like, oh, and the beastie boys opened up for Madonna. Oh, wow. Like a virgin tour. I didn't like them till much later. Yeah, it really was. That's a weird New York thing. Yeah. Who knew each other from, um, but yeah, so, uh. I don't go to a lot of concerts now that I'm old. Uh-huh. Like we, I think the last three concerts we went to was uh fishbone, um, Slater Kenny and Iggy pop. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In California, they weren't that recent, but that's the last three. And so, yeah. Prince and Madonna. I mean, what can you say? What bad thing could you say about the purple rain tour? I mean,
1: American you set the bar of your music live experience <laughs> really high, right off the bat. <laughs>
2: Right, and for and Lollapalooza, we got uh wedding ticket. We got tickets to the first Lollapalooza for a wedding present. Oh wow! So because that was when that was through. So we went to a bunch of Lollapaloozas, you know, until we got too old to yeah. put up with it. Um, but yeah. So, but Chris is really the person that just yeah you know, you should interview him sometime. I would love to. It's like, he has more music knowledge in his brain than anybody I've ever met in my life.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll definitely set that up. Well, this has been, thank you so much for your time and your energy. Again, I really just, there's so, so much love and respect uh, this for you. So um, how, how do we keep in touch with you? What's your corner of the internet? How do we find out more about the festival?
2: Okay, so I am on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My Twitter and Instagram is the Bobby Oliver, B O B B I E. Um, uh, also, Dow Comedy Studio, Dow spelled T A O, Comedy Studio. Um, the festival, we, so Laugh Riot Girl has a Facebook and Twitter. Um, like I said, it's Girl, G R R R L. And our website, laughriotgirl.com, uh, Dow Comedy BobbyOliver.net. You know, you can't escape me.
1: Yeah. I'll make sure all the links. Oh, and my
2: special should be, I have an hour and 45 minute special I just taped. It's the greatest hits album. It's my fifth album. The greatest hits of my four hours of albums out there. Um, And hopefully before we die, that will be on Amazon Prime.
1: It will be. I can't wait for that. Again, thank you, Bobby Oliver. All of those links will post up in the Uh, blog here as well and if you want to learn more about the artist or the music there's a special blog for that as well you can link to in this post as well I've been Maggie Mayfield your host please like subscribe and share we're on all the socials at ytunes shuffle and thank you so much for listening